0: So you guys have your Bibles to Genesis 39. Um, Some of the verses will be on the slides as well. Um, But before we get the show on the road, let's just commit this time to the Lord. Father, the one thing we ask during this time is that you would help us. Help us to properly understand what your word says. Help us to believe that your word is enough to change our lives and trust in you more than ourselves. We pray that we would see you in every verse that we see. We would see you in every circumstance in our lives, every circumstance that life throws at us. So I pray may you be glorified. May you be seen to be beautiful, Lord, in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So just a brief um, overview, a brief um, context. We are going through a book of Genesis. Um, We have gone through all the way to you guessed it, Genesis 38, that's why we're in 39 today, Um, and we are talking about the life of Joseph. And you will see that Joseph actually takes up a substantial part of the whole book of Genesis. To be exact, 30% of the book of Genesis is on the life of Joseph. So that is who we'll be studying today. In Genesis 39, um, we, again, that's a clue, we have entitled this message as Practicing God's Presence, Practicing God's Presence. I will be teaching on verses one to six. Um, What I'll be doing is be going through it verse by verse, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So, starting verse one, it goes: Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought had bought him from the Ishmaelites. We had brought him down there. Let me see here. Okay. So the first point is. God's presence prospers us. And the second point we will be talking about today is God's presence protects us. And the third and final point will be God's presence preserves us. So God's presence prospers us. Um, Looking at Genesis 39 verses 1 to 6, um, we see that this passage, verse 1, it actually echoes a previous verse that we talked about. It is in Genesis 37. At the end of it, Genesis 37, 36, which says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. An officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So the reason for it is because we took a little bit of a detour in Genesis 38, and we talked about the life of Judah, Joseph's brother. Now, pretty much what this is trying to tell us is that, by looking at this verse, is that he had been brought down by the Midianites, or also known as the Ishmaelites. What it shows is that Joseph, in this part of the story, for lack of a better word, and the best way I could describe this, is that he is deep in enemy territory, Because if we look back, if you've been with us for our series in Genesis, um, does anybody remember who the Ishmaelites were? When God chose who he would use for his glory, for his purposes, he chose Abraham. And Abraham had one son first, that was Ishmael. And Ishmael, he was the son born to him out of his own effort. You know, instead of trusting in God, he used it for his own effort. And so this whole entire race was born. And that one bad decision comes to haunt His descendants, because we know that Joseph comes from the other son's descendant, from Isaac's line. And so hundreds of years later, that decision still haunts Abraham's generation. Who was he sold to? So the Israelites sold him, and who was he sold to? The Egyptian people who do not know the true God. Back during this time, there was only one race of people that had a genuine and true relationship with the true God, and that is Abraham's people the Israelites. So he was sold by the rejected line from Abraham, and he was sold into the very own enemies, the very own people that God has chosen for them to be separate from. And when he was sold, um, remember uh, Joseph's story, he was out there going to his brothers, and then he, they betrayed him. And and from that place, they, they threw him in a pit, and then they sold him into slavery, and they brought him down to Egypt, and that was a travel of 200 miles as reference for those of us who are familiar with Filipino history, the Bataan Death March was only 66 miles. That is where we see Joseph in this story. That is what he's been through. In the chapter previous to this, we looked at the life of Judah, his brother. And we, we draw, now we get to draw comparisons between the two. We see that Judah, in his life, he succumbed. He, he submitted himself to the culture of the pagans. And what that did was that it lowered his moral standard. And he lived a life of immorality. But now we get to see Joseph stand fast in righteousness and integrity. But if you look at the circumstances around Joseph's life, we can't avoid coming to this one conclusion, that righteousness does not always have immediate rewards. You will not be immediately rewarded for your righteousness, for your faithfulness. Due to the things that happened in Joseph's life. With all these things considered, you look at verse 2. What does it say? It says, the Lord was with Joseph. This is after being betrayed by his brothers. This is after he was sold into slavery. And this is before he would be falsely accused of rape. And falsely imprisoned. All these things, enough to think that God had forgotten about Joseph. We need to understand, um, when, we, when he says this, when we see the story of Joseph in this in this um, part of Scripture, it's not saying that the Lord was with Joseph when he became successful. Not only in the times when Joseph was successful, does God show up in his life. But instead, when he was betrayed by his brothers, when he was sold into slavery, and when he was falsely accused of rape, and when he was falsely imprisoned, the Lord was with Joseph. God does not suddenly disappear in the harsh of circumstances. God doesn't suddenly disappear in our difficulties. He's not surprised. He's not caught off guard when we go through our difficulties. See, the presence of God does not mean the absence of troubles, but his presence in the midst of our troubles. That's what we call his providential care. He cares for you in the middle of these things. What does pres- the presence of God mean for us? What, is it, what does it do? How does it show? Well, for one way, it shows in Joseph's prosperity, he allowed him to prosper no matter how bad the circumstances were. In the middle of the bad circumstances, mind you, Joseph is a slave at this point, and he prospers as a slave. And when you look at this passage, his success is rightfully credited to God, rightfully credited to the Lord, to Yahweh. Again, when we have Lord and all capitalists like that, it is His name, Yahweh, which is a personal name indicating a personal relationship with God. Yahweh was with Joseph. And his success is credited to him. Not Joseph. It wasn't because of Joseph that he prospered. It was because of Yahweh. What else do we see? We see God's promise. See, what's happening in Joseph's life right now, all of the success he's guarding, all the success he's building up for himself, not really, but we actually see God's promise. If you look, you look at the story of Genesis, it is about God making a promise, making a covenant with certain specific people, and even the success He allows into Joseph's life, it is for that covenant. It is to ensure the fulfillment of that promise, the ensure the fulfillment of that covenant, made for the sake of Joseph's fathers, made for the sake of His chosen people. And lastly, these circumstances in Joseph's life, we see God's preparation. He prepares Joseph. He, he begins to serve as a slave in the house of Egyptian master. Not just any Egyptian master, but somebody who works for the government. Somebody of stature. Why? Because in his daily life, he gets exposed to how the Egyptians live, their way of life, how they conduct business which is if you see Joseph's life later on, you'll see how that will prove useful when God places him in a position of leadership in the land of Egypt. So you see, God uses these things to prosper, to to fulfill his promise, to, to prepare us. Verse three, his master saw See, so it's amazing about this passage is we see that God's presence, Yahweh's presence in Joseph's life, was confirmed by who? The non-believer, the pagan, the one who doesn't have a relationship with a true God. He sees, because it's so undeniable, he sees the work of God in Joseph's life, and he rightly credits it. He says it is the Lord who caused him to prosper. This is God's grace shining forth in the life of Joseph. This is what we mean when we say you are becoming an instrument of God's grace to display his grace. So we need to learn to give credit where credit is due. All success in Joseph's life is rightfully credited to the Lord, to Yahweh. Friends, how quickly do we claim credit for ourselves? How quickly do we make ourselves the heroes of every story to self-promote? When everything in the Bible suggests otherwise, every story in the Bible tells us to look away from ourselves and to look to God. Now, I believe when we talk about this topic, There's one word I've been saying over and over again. I believe when we talk about this topic, it is very important to get something straight. We talk about prosperity, biblical prosperity in the life of Joseph. We need to take careful examination, careful care when talking about this topic simply for the fact that there is a surplus, there is an abundance of unbiblical prosperity being taught in Christian circles. You turn on TBN, you turn on Daystar at any given moment, and there's a very high chance that you will be fed prosperity that's totally not based in the Bible. We need to see what it looks like according to Scripture. Number one, we see that Joseph's success was never really his own. Why? Whose household was blessed when the Lord was with Joseph? It was the Egyptians' household. See, how much success can you really garner as a slave? If you are somebody's slave, that somebody owns your life, everything you gain will not be for your own benefit. It will be for the benefit of the person that owns you. So whatever blessing Joseph received, the one that truly benefits from it was Potiphar's household, the one around him. We look at unbiblical prosperity and it tells us that it is about you. It is about you gaining more and more for yourself. Number two, the Lord gives according to his grace and purpose. The Lord gives both blessing and trials, as we see in the life of Joseph, according to his own purpose. Why? Why does he do that? To reveal his glory to the world so that people would recognize God I say I'm careful to say that both blessings and trials because it's simply untrue that people will only see God when you're abounding in blessing That people will only see God when you're in a good spot in life no multiple times in the Bible God's grace shines all the more brightly in the middle of our trials lastly, knowing that God gives according to his grace should change how we respond to blessing, should change how we handle our blessings. You know, whenever somebody is given much in the Bible, the reason for it is that he could give more. It is never to accumulate for yourself. You are entrusted with much so you can give much. The Bible always talks against greed, talks about the love of money. Because when you are entrusted with it, the number one way to get rid of temptation, especially in terms of money, is to give it away. The less you have, the less there is for you to rest your security falsely on. And it forces you, it trains us to rely solely on God. And lastly, verse 6. So he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And there's actually a separate paragraph and it ends with, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Well, thank God I'm not ending there. But here's the thing, why does it end there? Because it doesn't. It's telling us to be careful not to end here. This passage, this, this statement, it is a transition into what's about to come. Because the story isn't complete. If we stop the story here, then all we see is Joseph going from one glory to the next. You know, like just gaining and gaining for himself. But we see that the story doesn't end like that. See, in a couple of moments, we will get to see Joseph exercise his faithfulness. Why? Motivated by what? By God's faithfulness. Regardless of circumstances. You will see Joseph go through some really bad things. And also some good things. But one thing remains constant. Joseph remains faithful because God remains faithful.
1: we see that this is all talking about the presence of God in the life of Joseph. And Joseph went through many things, not of his own doing, but because God has ordained these things to happen. And as the last verse that our brother Paul shared with us, Potiphar was so confident that the the hand of the Lord was so evident in the life of Joseph that he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. He had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. See the trust that Potiphar has on Joseph. If you do not trust the person feeding you, what do you do? You won't eat. That's why in their time, the king had some, somebody to taste the food first. And if that person died, guess what? Somebody else is going to die. But you see, because the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph in all that he did, Potiphar could even trust Joseph for his food. He could trust Joseph was not going to poison him. If you were a slave and you were tempted... To get out of that life, you have an opportunity to poison your own master. But because the Lord was with Joseph, he was blessed. And the whole household of Potiphar was blessed. And Potiphar could relax. Now the last line, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Imagine, you're already successful. You're already blessed. And you're even blessed with good features. Ladies, is this the kind of man that you would like? Is this the kind of man that you're praying for? Someone who is not only handsome, he is someone who is responsible, he is someone who is trustworthy. I submit to you, these are the kind of characteristics that anyone would like to have in a lifelong partner. And this came about only because of the presence of God in Joseph's life. Now what happened? First, God's presence prospers us. Second point for today, God's presence protects us. Let's continue reading. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. You see the importance of that statement, that last uh, sentence in verse 6? Joseph was handsome. Joseph was successful. So the wife of Potiphar made notice of Joseph to the point that she initiated what she wanted to do, which was what? To have Intimacy to have an affair with Joseph in no uncertain terms. You, you can flirt maybe, but here, this is outward, very direct. Lie with me. Men, have you ever been propositioned that way? So direct, you don't even have to second guess what this person is trying to do. Come, lie with me, she said. Now, you're given the opportunity. You're in charge of everything. And then the mistress of the house, the wife of your, the owner of the house, invites you to have sex with her. What will you do? But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. You see his response to the presence of God? Because he knows that God put him there, and he was faithful to God what God wanted for him to do, even in the face of this very extreme temptation. And besides, no one is looking. Who will know? But what did he do? He refused. He did not only fear God, he also feared his master. Because he realized that God was with him. He refused. Men, if you share such, if this happens to you, and you share it with some other men, maybe what, what, what could possibly be the way that they will look at you. They might even ridicule you. budding <laughs> The opportunity is already there. What's wrong with you? Right? Because they are not practicing the presence of God. Is really, is it true that nobody Sees you, God sees you. God saw Joseph and he refused and he reiterated the trust that Potiphar put on him. My master has nothing to be concerned of. He has nothing to be concerned about. He has put me in charge of everything that he has. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us this. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. All of us are tempted in various ways, in various times, in various intensities. And many times we ask God, God, please remove this temptation. But what is 1 Corinthians 10 telling us? In the midst of your temptation and mine, God is with us and he will give us a way out. So let's not fault God because God has promised to give us a way out. When we don't take that way out, whose fault is it? Ours. But in the process, what do we do? We blame God. We blame God. With the temptation, God is faithful. The presence of God is there. That's what Paul is saying. Not the Apostle Paul, Paul Miguel. That is what Brother Paul is telling us. That God is faithful, God is present in the good times and in the trials. God does not turn his back on us when the, the things are going bad. And God is not only with us when things are going bad. Good. Joseph refused. He stood his ground. How can I betray God? How can I betray my master? So what did he do? He said, there is no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. You are his wife. Because you are his wife. Then could I do this what? Great what? Evil and what? sin in whose eyes against God Joseph by practicing the presence of God protected him from committing sin against God and against his master Potiphar he reminded her Potiphar had placed everything under me except you you're his wife Now, many times we deceive ourselves when it comes to sexual temptation. Jesus Christ, when he was here, he elevated a lot of things. He said in Matthew, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. So when we counsel, Pastor, we didn't go all the way anyway. So, what? What did Jesus Christ say? You look, if you are married, you look at another woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. You're single. You lust of another woman. You have committed what? Because you're not yet married, you have committed what? Fornication. You cannot escape God. Where can I go from your spirit? Says the psalmist. God is everywhere. So God not knows what you do. God knows what you think. God knows what you see. That's why it's very important for us to practice the presence of God. Now I asked the young men to give me this portion, I said because of years and experience. My wife knows this. I had an appointment with the president of Petron Corporation. Are you familiar with Petron Corporation? Okay. They have a very exclusive elevator. Only the guests of the chairman of the board can use that elevator. And I had an appointment with him. So I go. There is a separate reception area. I register. Sir, we need your telephone number. It was a lady who was the receptionist over there. So I gave my telephone number. And she said, sir, aren't you going to ask for my telephone number? I said, "I'm married." So I entered the elevator, finished my appointment for accountability. My son Timmy was driving around. You know how Makati is and all its traffic, right? So when I went down, I told her, I told him about it. Said Timmy, "You know this girl." And then I told my wife, but because my wife is a godly wife, she said, "Nagmumurang kamatis ka lang." Temptation abounds. It is how you and I respond to the temptation that will either glorify God or discredit your testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ. The temptation is right there before Joseph and he said, I refuse. How can I sin against my master? How can I sin against God? And you would think when the answer is no, you would stop. But then verse 10 tells us, as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Day after day, lie with me. Lie with me. You know, when you're successful and you're handsome, you are surrounded by so many temptations. Day after day, Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph, lie with me. See, many times we think, oh, I've won first round. That's it. I'm strong. Come on! Right? You're victorious in one battle, you think you'll be victorious in the next, and the next, and the next. My friend, Paul says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that what? He does not fall. Day after day after day, Joseph, lie with me. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. Again, perfect scenario. Just me and the mistress of the house. No one will see. No one will know. She caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in his hand and fled outside. Bading. You know, in the eyes of the world, you're stupid. You're dumb. You let go of that situation. But he did not. He continued to practice the presence of God in his life. He did not give in. He chose to be faithful to God rather to give in to his own personal desires. And he ran and he fled outside. He didn't stay in In one corner, he went outside. He fled the situation. He ran away from the situation. And that is what 1 Corinthians tells us. Flee what? Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In the other parts of Corinthians, the apostle Paul tells us that you are one with Christ. And if you have become one with the harlot, you have brought Christ into that situation. Flee immorality. Run away. Don't run towards immorality. Run away from immorality and run to God. Don't just run away, period. Run from the temptation. Run to God. Flee with earnest, with reckless abandon, flee from the temptation and run to God. Call your discipler. Call your D-group member. Pray. Do something. But get away from that situation. And Joseph did exactly that. He ran. He fled. And where did he go? He went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, meaning Potiphar, he has brought in a Hebrew to us. To make sport of us. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. Huh? True or not true? Now the mistress of the house is turning the tables. She is now creating a story. She is now making up a lie. Why? To protect herself. When you are under threat, What do you usually do? You create a lie so that you can preserve yourself and your reputation, right? She tried to do this. How would she explain that the robe of many colors or the garments of Joseph would be with her while Joseph was not? She had to make up this story. And what happened? When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garments beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Preserve the evidence. He ran, he fled, but he left his garment because what? She was trying to have sex with Joseph. And the only thing that she could grasp was his garment. Now I have the evidence to turn the tables on this guy who spurned my advances toward him. She kept the evidence until her master, her husband Potiphar, would come home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left this garment beside me and fled outside. You know what this passage reminds me of? Genesis chapter three: "It's always someone else's fault. "Adam, where are you?" Uh, we hid because we were afraid because we were naked. Ah, uh, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? Ah, uh, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me to eat, and I ate. Woman, what is this that you. Oh, the serpent that you put in the garden, he deceived me, so I ate. It's never our fault, it's always somebody else's fault. So, to make sure that her reputation was intact, she lied. And who was the object of the lie? Joseph and whom did she blame then she spoke to him with these words the Hebrew slave whom you whom you brought to us etc etc and what is the proof of this false accusation this lie here are his clothes He wanted to make sport of me. But Joseph did not give in to the temptation because the presence of God protects us.
2: Uh, Before we go into... The last point of uh, God's presence in our own lives. Um, Would you guys pray with me again? Dear Heavenly Father, you are strong and I am weak. And without you, there is no possible way for me to share your word with the people that are before me. That you have so many things much more important to say than I possibly do to your church. So Father, I pray that you speak through me. And in this time, just open our hearts and our minds to be open to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And uh, again, as we're going through the, through this chapter of Genesis, what we've seen so far is that Joseph is going through uh, many trials, he's had successes, and, and what Pastor Nsong just shared with us was he, he's experiencing this, this trial at hand where, where he is faced with temptation. A- and furthermore, I- I- in a way that for man is one of the hardest temptations to grapple with. And once again, we see that Joseph, in this part of his story, is again part of a crime that has circumstantial evidence. In the first one with his brothers that they presented to their father, Jacob, they they brought his his his, uh, garment uh, of many colors before him, and told them that, you know, identify is this the coat of your son, and his father Jacob confirmed it was. And again here we see, that before Potiphar the wife brought up this this garment that Joseph had, and again accused him of, rape. And and it, it's a very peculiar. Thing that oftentimes in Joseph's life, this is the theme that he experiences trial, experiences downfall, experiences blessing, but once again experiences a fall. And we read in verse 19, it says this, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Let's stop there. First of all, is what's Potiphar's wife saying true? Well, we look to verses 11 and 12. What does it say? It says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house, just as Pastor and Song shared, that Joseph ran at the sight of this temptation laid before him. And, And how was the way that he reacted? Why did he do that? In verses eight to nine, specifically in nine, Joseph responds, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? see he talks about Potiphar first but in his mind he is focused on God and the wickedness and the sin that would be against this holy 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 God because who was Potiphar to Joseph Potiphar was the person who bought him from from the slave trade he was the one that was his master the one who put him second in command in the household only below him so then In the face of this scandal, how would that reflect upon Potiphar's leadership, that he couldn't even keep people under his household under control? Then of course, a servant, all the more a servant who had a high position betraying the master, it would reflect very poorly on him. And so what happens, it says in verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But let me ask this question, that I'm sure is on your mind. Didn't Joseph do the right thing? He did. And what was his reward for it? He went to prison for being faithful to God, for obeying God, for recognizing that Obeying God is much more important to Him than falling into His His temptation, and and let me explain this: that in this time when Joseph was presented by Potiphar's wife, when these advances were made before him, eleven years he was exiled. How do we come to this number? He was made second in command of Egypt at age thirty, and he there were two years between him uh, telling the ba- the the cupbearer of him to, tell him to tell the pharaoh that he could interpret dreams to get him out of there, that he was innocent. And so 11 years remained. So 11 years exiled, away from his home, away from his country, away from his family, second in command, free yet still a slave. You have to remember that he is still a slave at this point. And so when this opportunity arises, that the wife of your master is seeking to have a relation with you, isn't that leverage for Joseph to say, I can take this opportunity. Maybe if I go this route, then I am free. I can find freedom. Maybe I can rise to power. But what did he do? He obeyed God. He ran from temptation. Now, why would Joseph willingly go back to the pit? Because he must have known the implications of what it meant to run from this, to have left evidence at the house, to go back before his master. Because wasn't he already in a pit before when his brothers threw him in there? And if you don't know the pit that that was it, was, it was for housing water. The way that it was shaped, it was bottleneck, so it was very you know, tight at the top. And so imagine Joseph in the bottom of this pit, looking up, not knowing when he would be freed. Who else could he rely on in that moment but God? Who else could sustain him in that moment by God. And in this story, beloved, let me ask you, are you content if God were to be your only witness? Would you be content with that, to do the right thing? Because it is what would honor our God. The Romans eight twenty eight a verse we've heard many times, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, not our purpose, to the purpose of God for his glory, for him to be magnified in the world. That is to who the glory goes to, that God does not promise us freedom from pain, Trial and tribulation. Paul was in prison for sharing the gospel. Stephen was stoned to death in Acts. Peter was crucified backwards. Timothy, the very church that he was pastor of, experienced trials with the congregation that he had, that they rose up and questioned his theology against him. But what God promised us in every one of those instances is that he is there with us that his presence remains. That we, we say Romans ten nine because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you know the context of what that means when you confess the Lord Jesus? When you confess him with your mouth? Because in that time in Rome, imagine you're a Christian worker out in the field just minding your business in the middle of a city, and Roman guards come by carrying a jar, an alabaster jar, and they carry it before you. They call all of you, line up, dip your finger in this jar, raise your hand, and say, Caesar is Lord. For the non believer, it is so easy to walk up, dip your finger, and say, Caesar is Lord, because you value your life so much more. But then to the Christian, To the Gentile, to the Jewish Christian, they walk up. They stay silent. The Roman guards tell them, say it. Dip your finger and say it. They don't. Now they point a spear at them, and they tell them to say it. Yet they don't. And finally, the Christian says, Jesus is Lord. And he dies. They kill him for saying, Jesus is Lord that the way out for them then was to proclaim that Messiah is alive, that he has risen from the dead. And Joseph understood at this moment that there would be a chance that he would die. Because for you to be brought into this prison, it was pretty much the moment you are placed in there, it is a death row that you are just waiting to be executed what does it say in verse 21 but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison the Lord was with Joseph it's also seen in Genesis 39 too that Moses the writer of this reminds us that God was still with Joseph he never left that his presence remained with him, that this is the description of Joseph when he was in prison in Psalm 105 verses 18 to 19. Is that, Sorry, it's not, that's a not little showing up. <laughs> there it is. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Do you understand that the moment Joseph landed in prison, he didn't immediately become the second in command. There were years he would spend just as a prisoner. He wasn't instantly made the the governor of of those that, that, that were in the prison. He as well suffered just as any other prisoner would. But it says that the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love that he took off these shackles. He took them off from Joseph. When what he would do, it says, the favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Meaning that God was the one to change the heart of this man that was put above Joseph. And, and, and what's, what's even... More peculiar as, as, as we read on in, into verses 22. It says, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Joseph came into prison under the presumption that he had tried to rape the wife of Potiphar that means his reputation going into prison there would be no reputation to uphold because he was already accused what reputation is there left to protect but what does he do god changes the heart of the warden but it's not like the warden said okay you i i see i I see you know there, there was something manifest about it and then instantly he became second in command no the very same skills that god had given him to become the, the, the leader of the household of Potiphar, were the very same skills that he displayed in the prison. That is the skills that were managerial and administrative, that despite his circumstances, despite his circumstances, Joseph remained obedient to God. He remained obedient to God despite his circumstances. That God would be the one to raise him. That there is no job too menial or too low for him to apply his energy in the way of serving his God. This, listen, the situation did not dictate Joseph's faithfulness to his God. The situation did not dictate it. And we read on to verse 20 to 23. It says, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You realize in in verse 23 that it says the Lord was with him, and the Lord made it succeed. That all the glory goes back to God, because it is his and his alone. That in Ephesians 2.10 it says, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that our steps as a believer have been laid for us by God. And this is important to remember that the prosperity in Joseph's life came from the hand of God. Why? In order to set the stage for the coming of Messiah, that ultimately Joseph would prosper in order that this may pave the way, the story that leads up to Messiah. Because in this passage, we should be more concerned about his obedience to his God than the prosperity he encountered because his prosperity would result in God's ultimate glory in the working of the rescuing of his people. Because understand, from his brothers, the garment that his father gave him, the robe of many colors, who would be put into the pit, taken out, brought into Egypt, raised in Potiphar's house. Afterwards, he'd be condemned. He would be accused of rape. He would go to prison. He would rise up again in prison, be brought out of prison, and be made second in command of Egypt in order that, that Jacob and his family be brought and be preserved. And from that time, Later into this story, there will, be a ki- there will be a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, and he would see these Hebrew people and make them slaves. And from these Hebrew slaves, there would be a woman who would have compassion on her child and send her down the river. And just so happens that when, the, when this child reaches the tip of the river, the, the, the princess of this nation sees him, picks up the baby, makes her her own. Brings it to Pharaoh in ordered that this child be trained in Egyptian life. And this child one day would see a man, two men, an Egyptian guard and a Hebrew being attacked. He would kill the man, not on purpose, but there would be witnesses. And so he would be exiled. And Moses would live in the desert for 40 years. Years until God would call him, until he would bring him back to Egypt, until he would be there, stand before the people, and bring them out of Egypt into the Exodus. And from this, the story goes on and on. And ultimately, ultimately, there would be a baby born in Bethlehem. His name is Emmanuel, that Jesus Christ would live a perfect, sinless, spotless life. That he would go to Calvary, die on the cross for the sins of people who would want nothing to do with him. That Joseph was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh in order that there be salvation in the physical sense for, the, for these Israelites. And Jesus would be raised to the right hand of God in order that there be salvation for his people. Do you understand that our sins were not just taken from us and thrown into the ocean, never to be seen again? They were laid upon Christ that our sins were paid for in full on the cross. And it is on the cross where the wrath of God was displayed, but it was also where his love was manifest, that this is the extent to which he would go to redeem a people who are so undeserving of it. Heart of my own heart, Whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. That in Joseph's case, whatever came upon him, his vision was fixed on God. Fixed solely on God. And in John 16, 33, it says, I have told these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. These are the words of Jesus. And I don't know where you guys may stand with Jesus today. And I can only plead on behalf of you. I can't save you. There's nothing that I can do. But as we pray, you yourself plead with God plead with God that he save you. Because God is glorified in his justice, but he is also glorified in his grace. And if there be questions afterwards about any of this, don't be afraid to go up to to any of the the leaders here. Pastor Nsong has offered as well that don't leave here without having at least some of your questions answered. But please, I ask, I beg of you, that you truly, earnestly go before God and ask him. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and we are a sinful people. That we are weak, we are rebellious, we challenge your authority. And yet because of your son, when you look down on us, when you look down on the believer, you cannot help but be pleased. What grace, what grace abounds. The Father, you are mighty, that you are sovereign. And I pray for those that are here to truly plead with you, to beg with you, that you be true in our hearts, that apart from you, there is no heaven for us, that apart from you, there is no thing that we can cling to onto this earth that will last forever. And just as in the life of Joseph, Father, I pray that you keep us in line with your will that you be our vision. That you be our vision. Thank you for the life of your son and thank you for the joy of your salvation. May you continue to build us up as a church in love with one another and faith in the true son. Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: And as we uh, break out uh, for our discussion, we just have two questions. How does God's presence affect your obedience? We were challenged by Brother Bien. If God is your only witness, if God is the only one watching you, how would you react to your situation? And second, what consequences could you face if you did not practice the presence of God? Before we break out into our discussion groups, I'd like to remind you that there's a food sale. You know, we'll share lunch, but we'll also pay a little for the fundraiser for our uh, youth retreat. Let's pray before we break out into our group. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word and how we have the freedom to just study and learn from your word. We again, Father, as a family of God, lift up to you Aaron and his situation. We pray that you will provide for everything that he needs and even more. And we pray that your spirit will be continually be with us, Lord, as we break out in our small groups and discuss how we can apply the lessons that l- we've learned from your word this morning. Be pleased with our time together, Lord God, as we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.